Hello, and welcome to this episode of Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today, I have two special guests, Jonah Kelman and Paul Hoppy, and together we're going to be discussing the last season, season seven of the Clone Wars TV show. All that and more right after this commercial break. We have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'll introduce our guests in just a moment. I want to start just by telling you one cool thing that's happening here on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network that this podcast is a part of. Um, we've just launched a new podcast called PandaVision uh, that I'm a part of, where, you know, on this network we have podcasts like this one that's all about uh, Star Wars, other ones about Star Trek, MCU, DC, you know, complete universes. We've started PandaVision as a way to talk about awesome television shows that don't really fit into a universe but still want to be talked about. So uh, we just launched about a week ago. Our inaugural episodes are all about the TV show The Boys uh, to get ready for season two, which is coming out uh, in the fall. The second set of episodes that should be dropping in another week or two are all about the TV show Umbrella Academy, uh, in which we're talking about the Umbrella Academy getting ready for its second season that will come on July 31st. Um, it's both me, it's, a, it's all three of us, me, Matthew Carroll, uh, and Jeff Randall are on those episodes. Definitely check it out. And right now for this week... Um, Anytime you um, post a five-star review about that show, you'll be entered into a contest to win a free shirt from the MCU cast, uh, the sort of uh, flagship of the Stranded Panda Network here. So more information will be in the show notes and on the uh, Stranded Panda website. Um, so please check that out. Please check out the website. Please leave us a uh, Sorry. Please check out the podcast. Please leave us a review. And now on with the show. Um, Jonah, Paul, good to have you guys here. Uh, Paul first. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know. Yeah. Sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> Little Sleepy, brain fog. Go out, the world is dying. People I'll are stupid, my... not wearing masks. But, you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, aside from the horrors of every day, uh, yeah. things are good. Yeah. Thanks for uh, asking. Paul's been a part of uh, the show a lot recently. He and I did a full review of every episode of the uh, season seven of The Clone Wars. And so we're excited to have him back for this. I will also say... Um, uh, this is when we would normally be doing an episode with Jeff Randall uh, on the next movie in the Star Wars series, uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith. We will be getting to that review soon. We've not had a chance to record it. That's why we're doing this one instead. Uh, Jeff and I's schedules have not quite lined up, especially with all the other recording we're doing. It will come soon. But because we've done that kind of episode-by-episode review, and because I know Jonah also had a lot of strong thoughts on The Clone Wars, we wanted to um, give a chance to do a quick review of the seventh season here. Uh, and we'll be talking more about the entire Clone Wars, and all the ethical questions that are raised for it on Superhero Ethics, the same episode that will launch this week. So we're kind of doing a doubleheader on this show, um, but today we're just going to talk about Season 7. So let me introduce Jonah. Jonah, how are you doing, and uh, what kind of brings you to this uh, all these conversations? I'm doing all right. I'm actually really excited. I don't know if you all saw the news, but today they announced uh, The Bad Bunch. I believe that's their name. Uh, and they're getting their Bad Batch, yeah. And they're getting their whole show next year. And I'm super hyped to see what comes of that. Because uh, yeah. I'm a big fan of clones. And yeah. I'm here because uh big fan of clones. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Jonah and I, um, he's been a guest on, I think, at least one other episode. Yeah, when we talked about the ethics of the Jedi and the Sith. Yep. Um, and I know he's someone who has really helped me kind of dig even deeper into the Clone Wars television show and ideas. Um, I got him into the TV show because he got me into the books. Um, a couple mm-hmm. times during the show... I referenced the books that are on the Clone Wars, the Republic Commando uh, book series. And so I'm sure we'll be bringing that in a little bit because it's 
not officially canon, but clearly has had a big influence on a lot of what gets discussed. So with that, um, we'll be talking, as I said, about the seventh season of Clone Wars. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's on Disney+. Plus. I definitely recommend seeing it. But if you're just kind of interested in what happens but don't want to go watch it, you don't mind being spoiled, feel free to stick around. But we definitely will be spoiling it. So let me just start by saying, guys, what was uh, what are your overall impressions of the, of the seventh season? So Dave Filoni and the rest of the crew on The Clone Wars are really good at telling a compelling story with fascinating characters and giving those characters, I think, the story that they deserve. I was very, very pleased with season seven overall. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 go ahead, Paul. Oh, I was just going to say, as was I. Uh, I feel like, especially, I feel like Ahsoka got the story she deserved oh, as well as, yes. Yeah. As well as Rex, you know, um, and just, I thought the series had basically done what it needed to do. And then seeing this season, it was clear that uh, there was still more to be done. And uh, yeah. it really, I feel, just brings it all around in a very satisfying way. Yeah, I feel like it ties up so many of the loose ends we got. Um, season six of Clone Wars was good in some ways, but definitely I felt, like you said, like I kind of left some things to be desired. It felt like some things didn't quite get wrapped up. And I know there'd been some, like, kind of like what happened with Buffy with getting maybe another season or maybe not, or the last two seasons it got. Um, at one point, people thought that the last season of The Clone Wars was going to be the last. And so I think um, season six, like, only some episodes were aired and there was all kind of confusion and stuff like that. And some of the episodes seemed a little sort of thrown together. Um, this felt like it really just kind of, like, wrapped everything up. Um, and I'll especially say... Um, I think all three of us have now at least watched some of Star Wars Rebels. Am I correct? Correct. Yeah, I've seen all of it. With okay. an emphasis on some for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm still in season two. I think, Paul, you're still in season one. Correct. Yeah, so uh, nothing given away there, but I feel like um, there are a number of plot lines that, that happen in Rebels that I felt would have made a lot less sense if I hadn't seen this last season. Mm. Um, as well as it just being um, – I mean, this is kind of the thing we talk about with the Clone Wars all the time – to me, in some ways, it's not that they make the Clone War movies better, like the first three prequels, uh, right. or the three prequels. Thank God there's yeah. not more. Um, but like, <laughs> it, well, there's, there's like, Solo. Yeah, oh God. Um, I feel <laughs> like these tell the story of what I wanted the prequels to tell in a lot of ways. And, and this does that even more because here, Order 66 finally makes some sense. Yeah. It finally feels real, I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, as somebody who dug a bunch into the extended universe, uh, reading the comics and reading the books before Revenge of the Sith, I knew a lot of the Jedi that died during the scene, during the movie, and so that was impactful. Mm. But you don't get to see what it's like on the other end of right. the barrel, I guess is the best term to use here. Like, what it's like for the clones, and I think we'll get into it more, I'm positive. But seeing it from the perspective of the clones is very interesting. And yeah. very powerful. Yeah, it gave me that moment that I want because when I watched the movie, it just didn't make any sense. Let's then now look at some of the specific topics, and I want to talk about kind of with each one what we liked, what we didn't, and also kind of what we feel like. What did the seventh season teach us about the the Star Wars universe in general? Like, what did we learn from it? Um, and so let's first talk about the story of the clones. Um, and I'll try to give kind of a, a brief summary. We have um, in the show there are three what I would call story arcs. It's a 12 episode season. Each one is four episodes. Um, the first one is about something that we mentioned, uh, at the start called the bad batch. Um, 
And this is um is basically a bunch of clones who were grown to not quite be clones when they were trying to do like kind of some special futzing around with things. And they're all supposed to, they're basically like, you know, factory rejects. And none of them quite work properly, but they also have all some interesting personalities and some interesting talents that none of the rest of them do. And they've kind of been kind of like a weird commando squad for most of the rest of the seat of, of the of their lives. We get introduced to them for the first time, and I think um Jonas will talk about they're definitely um not a direct playoff, but they reference something that I think comes up in the books um quite clearly. Um so the first four episodes are about them kind of like on a mission with some of the regular clones and some of the tensions there. Um, but really kind of showing like their the way they care about each other, the way they, they sort of bond together as a unit, and telling us more about what does it mean to have clones that aren't exact clones? Um, then we get a second episode block that's mostly about Ahsoka. And then in the third episode block, we get um, Ahsoka and the clones kind of reuniting um, for one last mission, um, going back to Mandalore. And during the course of that mission, we see Order 66 happen. And so we watch the clones um, t- you know, go through Order 66, turn on Ahsoka, um, it's revealed that there's a, a chip in their heads that's kind of making this happen, that's controlling them. Um, Rex the, is the one who's able to kind of fight it with some help from Ahsoka and then gets his chip revoked, so he's kind of working against them. Um, and and then we have some pretty intense battle scenes between uh, Ahsoka and Rex against the clones, trying to not kill the clones, having to kill the clones, and honoring what they're doing while also recognizing that they've, they've turned bad. Um, so... What's what's kind of your overall take on the clone storyline and, and kind of what we uh, what we get from the clones in, in this in this series in this season? I think that the Bad Batch arc, the goal of it is to give more personality to the clones, and I think it succeeds in that to a pretty high degree. Uh, so far, a lot of the clones, well, they're clones of each other. They while they do have slight differences in personality, some of them are slightly more aggressive and are want to try off the wall tactics, and others are a little bit more reserved. They all have very similar takes on things, whereas the Bad Batch gives them a little bit more flexibility. And I think that's interesting, although I have quibbles about it, given the history of Kaminoans and those that do not conform to expectations or their desires. Um, right. But, yeah. You think it doesn't, it doesn't quite make sense that they would much, yeah. to live to this point anyway? Um, spending all that training on something that could just not work doesn't seem like something that Kaminoans would do. Yeah. And that, that's Kaminoans more from the books mm. than from the, the show. Although we, we did get a strong sense of the Kaminoans as being pretty strict on, um, uh, you know, everything being right. exactly the same in the show. Uh, yeah, maybe the maybe the Bad Batch series will give some backstory on that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And Jonah, I know that... Um, this kind of uh, mirrors to something that there is a story in the clone books about a group that's not quite the Bad Batch, but kind of has a similar role that it plays, especially in regard to other clones. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So in the Republic Commander series by Karen Travis, um, there are, I'm going to give a little bit of techno babble detail. <laughs> there are several tiers of clones in the Grand Army of the Republic. You have your clone troopers that are clones of Jango Fett who have been instilled with increased sense of uh, loyalty to each other and uh, loyalty to their commanders so that they will act as good ground troopers. You then have the commandos who work in squads of four. They have a little bit more innovation in them uh, and a little bit less loyalty to the group, but more of the 
get-the-job-done attitude. And then you have ARC troopers who show up pretty frequently in the Clone Wars series, and they're even closer to Jango. Mm. Uh, they are intended to work alone or drop into a planet, and they can now lead a rebellion from here, or they can be dropped with a clone regiment and lead that clone regiment of troopers. Uh, now, in the Republic Command of series, there is a group of clones who were essentially pure Django. And Django, as you may have seen from the movies and may have picked up from other material, not really a team player, which is kind of important when the entire purpose of the army is follow the commands of the Jedi um, and be an army. If your soldiers aren't paying attention to orders, that's a problem. Right. And in the books, um, there is a Mandalorian who is part of the training regiment for the clone commandos who sees these children, and the Kaminoans are like, yeah, they're defects, so we're just going to get rid of them. And he's like, what do you mean get rid of them? And they're like, well, kill them, because, you know, they're not what we wanted. And he's like, you can't just kill ten kids. Uh, so he adopts them and trains them, and they become a group of very powerful commandos that do pretty much whatever they want. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of especially where I thought of it, is the, the tension between the Bad Batch and the rest of the clones, I feel like, really helps to... Um, really reminded me of the tension between those two groups in the book. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's interesting, and I, I wonder if you two got this as well. I, I like what you say about how the Bad Batch helps us to personalize the clones, and uh, I feel like it's a nice reintroduction to people who haven't seen the show in a while about like the, the clones, because at first, I kind of, like, when we got to like episode 7 or 8, and we now had a totally different story, and it didn't seem like it all connected, I didn't really get why we had the Bad Batch story. Until we then get this really harrowing story of the clones and watching the clones go through Order 66. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this was, you were introducing us to Chekhov's clone. Like, you were kind of, like, reminding us about the inner stories of the clones and why that's so important. Because it makes the Order 66 storyline carry so much more weight. Is that kind of a sense you guys got? I remember watching episode five, and I think we commented, like, like, we, we watched the first four episodes, and we're like, yeah, this is good. I'm enjoying the series, blah, blah, blah. And then watching episode five, six, seven, and eight, and being like, why did we have those first four episodes that weren't like these four episodes? But I think they really set up, I think sort of the, the differentiation between each member of the Bad Batch kind of underscores how all the clones are different. It's like by showing that they're that different, we also are kind of reminded that all the other clones are different from one another as well. I mean, we have Rex, Cody, and um, Echo, and they all have their own stories, their own experiences that shape them. Um, so it, I think it reinforces kind of the very important idea, I'd say, that the clones are people, um, which I think is easy yeah. to forget at points in time. Yeah, I definitely agree on that. It's a very, having that distinct visual difference between them is very important in being like, hey, these are different people, they're not all the same. Um, from the books, if you're reading the books, they can explain the difference in personalities and how they're reacting to things differently and the subtle variations between clones, and that's something that's a lot harder to get across in yeah. an animated show, especially when you have 20-25 minutes per episode. And so I think this very clear contrast being like, they are different is very helpful for help helpful from a narrative perspective. Yeah. And I, I think because it's it's interesting because one of the things that I really like about the Clone Wars TV show, and we'll talk about this more on uh, the other episode on superhero ethics, but we can just touch on it is 
you know, when the clone army is presented in the movies, it's presented as just like, yep, we've got 100,000 nameless, faceless people who we can send in as cannon fodder. And there's sort of no moment of the Jedi really being like, wait a minute, like, <laughs> right. are you doing this? What's right. their moral value? Like, is this a good thing? Um, and I like that the TV shows really explored that. And I feel like this season especially we get that because, you know, I mean, since the first time I watched Star Wars, what's now called A New Hope, um, I never cared about the guys in the white suits. I was like, yeah, you know, Luke, Han, shoot them all. Like, they're the bad guys. Right. I was seven. That's all I understood. Um, but then as, um, you know, and, and I feel like in the same way, you kind of were able to do that with the, the, you know, when the clones turn on our Jedi heroes in Order 66, it kind of feels the same way. But the way the show did it, I felt in this, in this last four episodes, they were so humanized to me. And in a way that really made me kind of like, just kind of the tragedy of it, of these people who had all been working together, who'd had so much respect for Ahsoka and for all the Jedi, turning on her and like the, 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 what she has to go through and Rex has to go through, deciding like whether or not to fight back. Um, it, it just, it all to me had so much power. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. I mean, the overall it's a tragedy, right? And in the movie, I, I guess that's there. And if you watch that with, the context of having like I watched Revenge of the Sith after re after watching this season and I still really don't like the second half of the movie at all but it hits differently uh, in a way that I think it doesn't hit in the movie if you just watch the movie in a vacuum yeah yeah I think knowing the backstories but what's really powerful for me is knowing the backstories between the various Jedi and the clones that are fighting with them um, if you look at the movie in Revenge of the Sith, Kiari Mundi has been fighting on his home planet for close to three years now, and with the same troop. So he's been on the ground with them for years, fighting for his home, and then they turn on him. And that's just incredibly powerful for me. And like, there are stories like that for pretty much every other of those short scenes in Revenge of the Sith, yeah. but you don't get that weight without having read through dozens of other books, uh, whereas you do get that weight with the Clone Wars, I think. And it's interesting, because unfortunately, part of what that tells me is, you know, with all the media I watch, I always wish that the movies would bring in more of the TV shows, would bring in more of the yeah. other content. And... I know that the concern, you know, like, I really wanted Daredevil to appear somewhere in an MCU movie, you know, especially like the Civil mm -hmm. War or something like that. Uh, I had similar feelings about a lot of these things. And I know one of the concerns is that if a person goes to the movie and hasn't seen that, will they miss something? And unfortunately, kind of like, that's what I feel about what you're saying, Jonah, is that like, I wonder if like that was part of the problem with those scenes is that they wrote them in a way that they had incredible emotional impact for people who've read those books, but that they, they, they kind of went so far to that that they had almost no impact for people who hadn't. Had the books um, already been written? They'd already been released at that point? Some of the books had. More books were written after mm -hmm. the movie was released that gave some right. spoilers forward. Um, but a lot of the books had already been written by the time Revenge of the Sith came out. It reminds me of something that I've talked a little bit about with Rebels, where I really like how they name drop characters from the extended universe, and it's just like, we need a Jedi Master, here's the name of Jedi Master. Um, but it's really hard to do that in a movie and have the characters be meaningful or relevant, I think. Right. Um, but it seemed like just a name drop. 
Right, and then it's just a name drop, and it's helpful for people who are enfranchised and doesn't detract from people who are not, but that's not something you can always do. Yeah, it's definitely a hard balance. Um, What did you guys think of Rex's storyline specifically? By and large, a fan, I think. Um, Then again, Sucker for Clones. So, uh, (laughs) seeing a clone get to have more storyline to themselves uh, is really powerful. Like, Rex had a previous storyline with, I want to say, five since back in season five, ironically enough, uh, going to Camino and all of that. And then he gets another storyline and finding Echo. And I like seeing the stories about people who aren't the face of Star Wars, Uh, seeing the stories about the clones or just like the X-Wing series and the books, just not like Anakin and Luke and all those folks. I can get enough of them in the movies. Yeah. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I felt like the thing, the whole thing about him going and um, how much he really cared about Echo and recovering him and kind of helping him be okay after everything had happened, like sort of encouraging him to maybe go off with the Bad Batch, um, I think gave a lot more weight to the conflict in the last four episodes where he was shooting at, you know, the other clones and, you know, they knew that by getting off the ship, they were going to let all the other clones die. Um, It gave a lot more weight to that uh, because we see how much he cares about each individual um, clone, you know, each brother, basically each person he fights with. Right. When they go to rescue Echo, you can see that Echo looks practically desiccated. Like, is he dead already? Is something that I thought when we first saw Echo. And, like, the very, like, the strategically correct decision there is put Echo out of his misery and get out immediately. And that's not at all what he did. He's like, I'm going to risk the Jedi that's with me. I'm going to risk the rest of this clone group with me because this is my brother and I'm going to save him. Right. And I think that's one of the really powerful parts of the whole clone story is that the rest of the universe, the Jedi especially, unfortunately, don't they don't see them as individuals for the most part, and they surely don't see them as anything more than cannon fodder. And that there's a real sense of kind of like a doomed bro, you know, a doomed brotherhood among them, of like no one else sees our humanity, no one else recognizes us, and thus our loyalty to each other is that much stronger. Yeah. And I think that therefore that Rex that way, that Rex way of holding on to each other, um, because one of the things I think and actually I didn't even make this connection until just this moment. Um, the Echo storyline he's talking about is that there's a clone who's been taken prisoner by the uh, separatists, um, and is basically being used kind of to be plugged into a computer and kind of like a, a you know almost brainwashed kind of situation. Everyone else thinks it's hopeless, and Rex and some of the other clones think this person can be rescued, and and think it basically is the idea of like. No matter what kind of you know you plug a clone into, that there's fundamental goodness in a clone that you that can always be found and brought back, um, and I think that that's it's amazing we hadn't even put this into words before. Maybe you guys had, had seen this as a glaring connection. Like, I think that's very intentional. That later in the in the Order sixty six episodes, when Rex tries to do exactly that and to talk to the clones who are now being controlled by this chip that's telling them they have to kill the Jedi and that they have to kill anybody who stands with the Jedi. Um, and you can see a moment where yeah. it almost works, yeah. but it fails. Uh, and I think it just, it, it just shows much more like 
Order 66 is undoing something that really should be there because we just saw it work mm-hmm. before. Yeah, I think Order 66, I mean, in the in a way, it's kind of like a cop-out, it feels like to me. Um, that's like, oh, well, they all have chips in their brain that just, like, is going to make them do something specific. On the other hand, it basically avoids the challenge of, like, would it work another way? You know, all of them at right. once, be you know, first of all, having this whole conspiracy and then betraying, you know, the people they fought with. And it, you know, so I feel like it sort of works, but it's also a little, eh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I have very strong opinions about the chips and the Jedi, or the chips and the clones. I, very strong opinions, <laughs> but I don't think we're quite yet to the last four episodes. Well, I think we're about to start talking about Order 66. So, yeah, why don't, uh, I think I have maybe a similar take to you. Uh, but so, why don't you go ahead and talk about it? <laughs> uh, I really didn't like it. Um, so, having read Karen Travis's Fall Commando series, again, I'm talking about it, but again, it's one of the books that focuses on the commandos and the main characters are clones rather than Jedi or anybody else. Um, in that, you also see Order 66. But the clones still have free will, and they have the opportunity to choose. And a line from the Clone War show is, good soldiers follow orders. Mm-hmm. Um, and Order 66 is a lawful order right. that they should follow. And so it makes sense to me that the majority of the clone army would unquestionably follow that order. They have no reason to distrust it. They're just like, yep, this is one... It's not the first order. This is not just like one thing like they're just like this is the one exception no this is order 66 this is something that they've prepared for and so it's much more powerful to me to see the clones be like okay this is somebody that i've trained with i've been told that they need to be taken down and i've seen jedi fight we're not going to be able to take them prisoner i have to kill my commander now and i think that's a more powerful story to some degree um there's another powerful story in that the clones were truly slaves all along, but I think yes, I think this is what I was gonna get. I think that mechanical slavery, the they have no choice, is a less interesting story than the they technically have free will, yeah. but they haven't had enough life experience to make an informed decision, and so they're gonna follow Order sixty six anyways. I like the pseudo free will of yeah. no chip better. I think I like that better. Actually, I thought you were going to go in a different direction, though, which is what I was going to say, which is that the other thing, the reason why I like it, if it is to some extent a choice made by the clones, um, and then I think we probably have to, I mean, I think part of why they didn't do it is for that to make any sense, some of the clones have to not choose. And now what you have is a protracted, like, probably two or three more years of war as you wipe out the rest of the Jedi and wipe out the clones who don't go along with it. To me, that's a much more exciting story. It's not what they wanted to do in that movie. I can understand that. Um, but to me, part of why I think I would love that so much is we've had six seasons of the TV show showing us just how badly the Jedi treat the clones. Right, so I don't think it's going to be two or three more years. Like, if we look at uh, Umbara, General Krell was terrible to the clones. Now, to be fair, he stopped believing the war and was intentionally throwing them away. Mm-hmm. But right. 
the clones don't have reason to like the Jedi, by and large. Might, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just saying that if it's free will, I don't believe 100% of them would make that I, decision. Not even just that. But, like, I but, mean, the Jedi are Jedi, right? So they should maybe right. be able to well, but, sense something. I don't know. Like, But the point I'm trying to make is that, I, to me, I think the really interesting story there is, like, so... The situation's been set up such that the clones have this lingering resentment that is building and building and building. And they're seeing the Jedi treat them worse and worse. And also now, like, we're coming to the end of the war and the clones have no like, deal what's supposed to happen to them. Like, and then this order comes out that says, by the way, the Jedi who have been treating you so badly, they're terrible. You have to take them out. Like, what's more dark side than that? What's more Sith than, like, that idea of, like, building yeah. this tension between the Jedi and the clones so that when you tell you know so that you both convince the clones to pretty much slavishly take orders like you said but also convince them that the jedi are bad leaders because they don't respect them and so now if palpatine's the one saying oh you poor clones i care about you let's fight those jedi who have treated you so badly like that's a fantastic story and so perfect for like the kind of machinations palpatine yeah. does i think it's a little harder to tell but which is why i think <laughs> the chip is a, that's a cop out right but um, yeah. But yeah, it would be more satisfying if done well. Yeah, so if they had skipped Ahsoka's arc, and I don't want to take anything away from Ahsoka's arc, because I think it was very important to show her growth and how much growth she needs to have before she's like fully fledged in her own power. I think if they had taken that extra time, those four extra episodes, to talk about clones making the choice, I think an hour and a half of clones deciding whether or not to follow Order 66, and then that fracturing of that unity that was so important at the beginning between Echo and Rex, I think they could have done that. It would have been very challenging, and since it's not about Jedi, I think it's a little bit harder to market, because mm -hmm. lightsabers are cool, and I'm a clone fanatic, and it's a story that I really want to hear, and it, I've read it in the books, but I want to see it on TV. Um, and I think they could have done it, but they might have needed to take out something else that was very important. And I think removing that arc from Ahsoka from the middle of the season would have cost the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Go uh, ahead, Paul. I think um, the, I mean, I absolutely loved the the middle four episodes, the the Ahsoka and the Martez sisters. Um, I kind of feel like it could have been a separate series even, or like, you know, where it, it happens in parallel with the, the Bad Batch episodes, I think. Um, yeah. It's all kind of going on at the same time, right? Uh, and, you know, it's a 12-episode season. It's not like they couldn't have just done a 16-episode season if they wanted to. Uh, I, I guess right. they got a 12-episode order, but they could have, you know, ordered, I don't know, 66 episodes. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they did manage to go nine episodes without a lightsaber battle, I think. I mean... You know, I mean, yeah. I don't know, um, Anakin stuck his lightsaber in some robot or whatever, but, like, as far as an actual lightsaber versus lightsaber battle, they saved that for, I think, episode 10. So, um... That sounds right. It certainly wasn't Jedi-heavy. Um, I mean, the first eight episodes, um, Anakin and Obi-Wan appear briefly in episodes mm -hmm. one and four, and Ahsoka, obviously, was a former Jedi, but, like, there's nothing about, you know, Jedi politics or Jedi council or people waving around lightsabers. You're right. It's, it's very much yeah. not those kind of stories. Um, and just an aside about that lightsaber battle, which I remember, Matthew, you mentioning you thought it was <sighs> one of the best lightsaber battles. That was actually 
um, filmed between two people, between Ray Park, who played Darth Maul in um, The Phantom Menace, and Lauren Mary Kim, who's a very talented stuntwoman. Um, and then they do whatever they do to make it animated. But that was actually... That's cool. super cool. And, and so, for folks who don't know, we're, we're talking about, um, in episode 10, Darth Maul comes back into the story. Um, we're actually going exactly into how. It, but, it's a, but it's a very well done part of the story and, and makes some really interesting drama. And there winds up being a lightsaber battle between him and Ahsoka that is, as I said, I think I think we're all kind of agreement, one of the best, maybe one of the best scenes in the whole show of all seven seasons, but certainly I think one of the best lightsaber battles yeah, in Star Wars. Uh, I think it is the best lightsaber battle that I have seen and probably definitely top five, maybe like top two or three fight scenes that I've seen, period, just in anything. Yeah, yeah. I don't disagree. Um, although there's like two Daredevil fight scenes that I feel like are like number There's one, some good two. Daredevil fight scenes and then like the Tony fight John. scene in the first episode of The Witcher was also really good. Mm, yeah. Uh, but it's in that class yeah. of beautiful, beautiful, beautiful choreography combined with what makes it above the Witcher fight scene is very powerful character moments for both of the characters participating in the battle. It's very important to both Maul and Ahsoka. Yes. I mean, to me, it's it's hard for me to compare it to live action scenes too much, although clearly it did. But like, I feel like it is probably it and one or two scenes from Avatar, mm. either Last Airbender mm. or Legend of Korra, mm. are up with me to me as like the best animated yeah. fight scenes I've yeah. ever seen. Um, but both in terms, of, as you just said, Jonah, the way it highlights the, the it just being beautiful and riveting and like see to your pants, but also just like it, it's so much about the characters and what yeah. they're going through. Yeah, it has weight and it has finesse and you know the cinematography as well which i mean if you want to call it that but just like the the visual aspects beyond just the characters motions um plus, yeah you know combined with the characters emotions um it's just amazing i think i should watch that scene again yeah <laughs> it's so good just like pause the recording let's, back up. let's kind of talk about what do you all think of the the ahsoka storyline overall i liked it um wasn't my favorite arc because not enough clones, but um, I Ahsoka is one of my favorite characters in Star Wars, and seeing her get her moment to learn that while she learned a lot from the Jedi, she knows nothing about life outside the temple and life outside the Grand Army. Like it's impressive how much a Jedi doesn't learn when they're supposed to be such fonts of knowledge and wisdom, and I think that's really cool to see. Yeah, I think they really show, in this series, I think they really show how much she doesn't know about the world beyond Jedi issues, basically. Um, how yeah. much the clones don't know beyond, you know, war issues, basically. I mean, do they have any lives outside of the military, really? I mean, I don't think we see much at all of that. And, yeah. and also how much we don't know. Like, the first episode with Ahsoka where she goes down that, like, hole in Coruscant and is in the lower levels. And it's like, this is an area we really, really don't see very much of at all. And um, to me, it felt like it gave, like, depth to the world, um, which to this point had really been more about breadth. You know, it's like you always see this planet or that planet, and there's, like, one town there's like one or two locations on each planet that are that are of of note 
And and here it's actually like, oh, well, Coruscant isn't just like the Jedi Temple and the, the Senate. And, you know, you can go down into the planet and there's like laundromats and stuff. Yeah. And I think part of what I really loved about that especially was Ahsoka realizing that to these folks, like the Clone Wars doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I'm trying to remember exactly the response, but I think they kind of feel like it's all just sort of happening way up there and it doesn't affect them. And they all think kind of everything's kind of ridiculous and dumb and they should stop fighting. And just to me, it's a great moment of like, like, I mean, literally the show's called the, the Clone right. Wars. The All we've seen is this war. And it's a really nice reminder of like, yeah, even here on Coruscant for a lot of the people, it probably just means higher taxes, right. you know? They don't have their sons and brothers dying because, or or sisters dying because they're not getting drafted. The yeah. clones are doing all the fighting. They don't have to pay wages um, to the clones, so not too much higher on the taxes. They, oh, yeah. they just have to buy them from the Kaminoans or whatever. Yeah, get some equipment, but you can reuse that. But there's food, there's ships, there's all that kind of stuff. Really cheap um, food. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Pods are great. One of the things that you mentioned, Paul, was do clones have lives? And as a very quick tangent uh, from the books... Not really, no. Like, they talk about, as a treat, one of their trainers was like, I have some cake, and they're like, ooh, something that isn't just processed food paste. This is incredible. What is it? And he's like, it's like my leftover bread crusts. Um, And it's, I highly recommend, I'm going to mention this yet again, the Republic Commando series to you. I think you'll find it very fun and enlightening. They're very good books. And, and in the show itself, we have one or two episodes where, like, clearly clones have those, like, biology and those interests. Yeah. Like, we meet clones who have left the army and gone off and been married and had children. Yeah. Um, and things like that. There's the and, deserter who picked up farming and is right. just like, yeah, this is what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And the rest of the clones are like, yeah. actually, <laughs> not being shot at for a living sounds right. enticing. <laughs> and That's what's, weird. What's this non like food stuff you're growing? I haven't considered that before, but yeah, I'm into, like, eating food that has flavor and not getting shot at for something <laughs> that I don't believe in. Right. Huh. I mean, even in the books, uh, I'm trying not to spoil anything, but, like, the, there is a love story of sorts between a clone and a woman. And um, part of what they get at is, and this is the kind of story that could be told in a really kind of juvenile way, but the books manage not to do this, is they kind of just focus on, like, these are people who've, like, just never really been around uh, – I don't want to use the word females because I hate that, but like not just women because it's not just humans, but like non-clones. The female almost any. Well, yeah, the clones are all male because they're all clones from a man, and most of the generals who taught them are male. Um, but also, and, and most of their they're, they're, the people they're around are the same person. They're around their brothers who were raised the same, and so they don't know different personalities. That's just weird to them. Yeah. Yeah, and so there's some really interesting episodes where the like, person just like you know he just go, tries to go into civilian life and he's so completely lost, mm-hmm. especially because he doesn't have any idea how to interact with women or what he's feeling about women. Um, since they're basically kind of like twelve, right? Like they're kind of going through puberty, right? And their only socialization adults. has been with the, in the context of an army, so right from child. Um, yeah, yeah. I I feel like in some way Ahsoka was the perfect person to have this story about. Um, Especially when you get into the scenes where Ahsoka is like the the clones turn yeah. on her. Um, because at first what you get is, you know, she comes back. She's not a Jedi anymore. She doesn't want to take responsibility. But the clones are all like, oh, no, Ahsoka, you're our general. We'll follow mm-hmm. your orders. And part of what I like it is I feel like it really underlines 
the ridiculousness of all this. Like, in the original shows, like, watching Ahsoka give orders, as she's basically, like, 13 yeah. in those shows. And all of them are treating her like a general, even though she was pretty clear she has no idea right. what they're do- she's doing. And now she comes back, and they go right back to that. To me, part of what it shows is just how, like, you know, drilled into these clones it is. Like, every Jedi is right. Every Jedi knows more than you do. You can be the most experienced clone. She can be a day out of being a Padawan, or she can right. still be a Padawan. She knows more than you. Yeah. Well, they're 12 and she's 13, so, you know, scam. There's a pecking order, yeah. Um, I don't think she's 13 I, by the end of it, right? Yeah, no, she's definitely older than that. I mean, it's been three or four years, but when she starts, when she first gets picked up, she's very young. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was really powerful for me was when she comes back and Anakin gives her part of the 501st uh, and hands her the 332nd, which became her unit. And they have their helmets painted to match hers, yeah, her face. Me. That's oh, yeah. that's really good. Yeah, um, and then they're the ones that she ends up fighting who are trying to kill her. Yeah. Yeah, there's that one scene towards the end where they've clearly, like, buried... At oh, the very yeah. end, where after the ship has crashed, they have survived, but clearly most of the clones have died. And she goes through and kind of buries all of the clones, um, you know, with, with the help of the others. And you just see, like, all their, like, the rifles with the helmets mm-hmm. on. And it's her helmet. And it's just such a harrowing scene. Yeah. Um, another moment from her return that was incredibly powerful was shortly after, as you mentioned, Paul, Anakin giving her lightsaber... And then they say goodbye, and you as mm-hmm. the viewer know that this is their last goodbye as Anakin and Ahsoka, yeah. because you know that Anakin and Obi-Wan just got called to Coruscant for the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, right. and you know that Ahsoka isn't in Revenge of the Sith, and then Anakin doesn't exist after, after Revenge of the Sith. And so you know this yeah. is their last goodbye, and that's not something that you get very often in media yeah, in true. any way. Yeah. And so you're like, oh. Okay, this is it. We're yeah, yeah. This is real. Yeah, and that was well, especially great. because, especially because you know what I think is the most powerful moment of all twelve seasons. It's not the last time their paths cross. No, because you know that incredible scene at the very end. Ahsoka comes out and and you know she leaves her lightsabers. And I think mm. this is interesting. We can kind of discuss what she was trying to do, but then. Um, Vader, who we of course all know yeah. is Anakin, like lands on the last thing we see is him landing on the planet and picking up the lightsabers. Yeah. And I think it's supposed to, at least my understanding is it's very clear he knows mm-hmm. what this means. That she's alive, that um she left them here. I'm not sold that it's on she's alive and she left them here. Um mm. but like it's still an incredibly powerful moment like that closing scene uh, on either the snow-covered or dust-covered planet was so good. What, what do you think it might... What, why do you think she left them? Um, I mean, I think she was just distancing herself. She's just like, I don't want... These, these are weapons of war, and that's not who I want to be. The Jedi were not peacekeepers. I don't want to be associated mm-hmm. with them anymore. I want to take some time to find myself. Um, Because that's something that's been denied to both the Jedi and the clones. Um, And she wants to separate herself from all of that um, and just gets rid of them. I don't think she's leaving them there for Anakin. And I think when he finds them, it's 
a, a plausible interpretation is that she was killed by one of her friends, one of her former soldiers, and they took that as a remembrance. And I can see that. But then who buried it? Either um, a survivor somehow from the crash, and then is a clone going to survive on a wasteland planet by themselves? For how long? Who knows? Like, for a while, sure, because clones are great. But... I think you're right that she didn't mean she might. I think you're exactly right about what she, why she meant to do that. Um, I, I, you know, in terms of being leaving this all behind, especially because this whole ep, this arc was like maybe she can come yeah. back. Yeah. Um, because she's kind of seen what life is like outside of that, and she's maybe like maybe I want to go back, but, but I, I at least get the sense that Vader thinks like okay, she's still alive. Yeah. Um, you're right. It is kind of left ambiguous. I don't know if Anakin can accept that. Because if she can leave the Jedi Order, why didn't he do that before? If he oh, like, if he... you can just walk away from the Jedi, why didn't he just walk away from the Jedi with Padme? Like, I guess there is the responsibility that he felt to his troops and to Obi Wan to a lesser degree. But if Ahsoka can't just walk away from him, they were best friends. Like they were allies. She can't abandon. Right. Like I think it might be unimaginable to him to have somebody walk away like that. Uh, that sort of mm-hmm. betrayal might be impossible for him to comprehend. I don't know. I I kind of feel like he lives his entire life as Vader in like regret and suffering, and that's kind of what I got out of rewatching Revenge of the Sith after rewatching after watching this season was just how much everything that he gave up in order to try and get what he wanted he didn't get what he wanted and then he's just like trapped in this this form and this just kind of eternal subservience to the emperor who i think he just constantly wants to kill but can't and right also though i think did ahsoka leave both her lightsabers or did she just i think there was only one there's only one so I wonder whether she shows up later with one. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't made it through uh, Rebels, where I think supposedly she shows up, and maybe the yeah. Other yeah. We won't get into any spoilers that one way or the other, but yeah, certainly it's um it, it, the, all these storylines are continued in some way or another. Um, I want to actually just pause because I, I think one of the things we were talking about before is that idea of like seeing a scene that we saw through one character's eyes mm-hmm. to another one's, and how we get to do that with like Ahsoka and that final goodbye. Um. We actually got an email um, uh, back when uh, Jake, uh, sorry, Paul, <laughs> you and I were going over the um, this last season. Oh, uh, it's from Matthew Roberts, um, and he wrote, and this is right after we did a le- episode eleven. Um, great podcast episode. Uh, uh, great pod. Eh, let me start this again. Great podcast about episode eleven of the final season of Clone Wars. Did you notice the Jedi Council scene at the beginning of the episode is partially taken directly from Revenge of the Sith film? They keep the voice actors from the animated series in this instance, but it's the same lines. Um, and someone on YouTube has merged them together, and I'll put that oh, in the show cool. notes. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, Matthew, thank you for pointing that out. I, I think, we, Paul, you and I commented on that. And, Jonah, I'm curious what your thoughts. I thought that was such a wonderful scene of, like, tying that all in together and giving you the sense of, like, we've seen this from one perspective. Now let's see it from another. Like, there's... There's a filmmaking technique where that's called, where like you see the same scene from like three different characters' mm-hmm. eyes. Um, I don't. It's. I feel like it's a Japanese name, not gonna Japanese director. Like, but I. I can't remember. Um, but yeah. Anyway, so Jonah, what was your kind of take on that scene? I can't remember the exact 
seen, but I do remember being like, wait, I have heard this before. Um, and I really liked it. I think that it's powerful, and what it does it is it ties back to the movies and is just like, this is what's happening now. Um, and it gives you a sense of greater context for the more engaged viewer. And I think most people who are watching The Clone Wars are also going to have seen Revenge of the Sith, and so they get that added depth for free. Yeah. And so narratively powerful, and I think like because of that, it just feels so good. So I was a fan of that. Especially because I think it, it, it leaves... Ahsoka clearly, I think, has been sensing the darkness in Anakin, and like we see that a little bit in... Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact details, but I believe, like, doesn't Anakin, like, just straight out murder um, one of the Separatist leaders in front of Ahsoka? And she's kind of like, dude, what the fuck? Um, am I making that up, or is that that's something that happens? I don't know if it was straight murder, um, but Ahsoka has definitely seen Anakin, let's say, pushing the line between Jedi and not Jedi, um, and I think she's picked up a little of that herself when, I think, like, in season one or two, she tortured, like, uh, Somnimodian, that I can't remember the name of, and that, she definitely learned that from Anakin. <laughs> yeah, because I just, I, part of what I get out of that feeling is, I remember that, like, that it's clear that the council, like, is starting to suspect Anakin, but can't quite put the pieces together, and, like, this is all maybe just me headcanoning, but certainly I watched Ahsoka's face, and I was like, yeah, she gets it. And she's she's as frustrated as us that the Council can't quite put it together, because, like, she knows what's happening. I'm curious how much of it is her thinking, what did they expect? What did the Council expect when they threw us at war and told us to win at any cost? Like, did they expect us to lose, or did they expect us to do things that might be questionable and try and win like they told us to? I think she understands the tragedy of it all in a way that kind of a lot of folks don't see, in part because she's been able to step outside the Jedi. Right. Uh, and, like, um, they accused her of being a traitor and all of that. Now, I will say, my only real disappointment with the Ahsoka storyline, and I get that they, they didn't want to do this in these 12 episodes because they're taking it in such a different direction, but, like, towards the end of the season where Ahsoka leaves the Jedi, she starts to strike up this very odd friendship with Ventress, mm -hmm. who is in kind of a similar situation from the other yeah. side because Ventress has been kind of like kicked out of the Sith and recognized they, the Sith. They tried to kill well. her, I think. It's... Yeah. Yeah. They, they, I mean, minor they, disagreement. They, they... That's a minor disagreement amongst them. They didn't yeah. actually succeed in killing her, so it's a minor disagreement. But like, am I the only one who ended that? Like, think, I mean, because we've all talked, I think, about the, our interest in like moving past the Jedi and Sith mm -hmm. ideologies and sort of finding what kind of like other approaches to the to the force could there be i when i heard when i saw ventress and, and ahsoka kind of connect i really wanted like the ventress ahsoka buddy cop show you know like the two of them i'd watch that undercover trying to solve things constantly bickering because they see the force very differently but they kind of find that they have more in common than ahsoka did with the jedi or she did with the sith um I wanted that this season. We clearly didn't get that, and that was okay, but that was my one disappointment. I mean, I'd watch that too, but uh, yeah, I, I agree that it, it wouldn't <laughs> quite fit in with, um, you know, I, I feel like the series had a very, the season had a very concrete direction. It had three very specific arcs, each 
four episodes long and um i feel like it did something that needed to be done to really give closure to the series and give context to revenge of the sith and something like that would have been awesome but kind of extraneous like that seems to me like something that should happen later the buddy cop duo show. Yeah, yeah, like have that happen. I mean, yeah, now. I mean that can still happen, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Got another They're both still around before the Mandalorian or whatever. Uh, I think. Yeah. Go, Go ahead. ahead I was going to talk about my one frustration from the whole season. Right. Uh, Let me just add yeah, one more thing on that, and then go for it. Um, I think you're right. I think going into it, um, uh, I, 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 I hadn't even considered that because, frankly. The idea of there being cohesion in a show <laughs> where for six seasons they'd constantly shown episodes yeah. out of chronological order for True. no good reason. But yeah, once I realized that they had a very specific arc with like a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it all tied together, yeah, the Ventures okay. part wouldn't have made sense. <laughs> um, so um, I do want to start wrapping up. Uh, Jonah, I think you said you had one kind of other frustrating yeah, thing to share. Yeah, like the season was heralded as the Siege of Mandalore, and we got that for a solid two episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, Mandalorians are also fantastic. Like, I love the show The Mandalorian, and their culture is really interesting to me. And we just didn't get a lot of that. Um, Like, it didn't talk about their ideology. It did set things up a little bit for The Mandalorian, the show, to come in. But we could have gotten more. We could have gotten so much more. More jetpacks? More Mandalorian armor? More Beskar Gom? Like, I'm in for that. Like, all of a sudden have jetpacks also? Like, they can fly? (laughs) Yeah, we can just give them to... Well, it's been three years, so we finally got them off back order. Yeah, we, we saw some of that in the last season of Clone Wars, but yeah, more than this. But but no, you're right, and I admit, I, I kind of want it with egg on my face, because I spent a big part of the last episodes we reviewed of the clone the Mandalorian TV show talking about this oh, crossover, right. because... Um, and for folks who haven't seen The Mandalorian yet... You may want to skip ahead just a um, you know a minute or two, or actually I'm long winded, probably two minutes. Um, <laughs> but um, because one of the things they talk about is like that uh, Moff Gideon like was very clearly at the um, siege of Mandalore, and he talks about how he's bringing in this weapon that was so effective at the siege of Mandalore, and like that is such an important plot point that we don't have any knowledge about. Um, and clearly the Mandalorians in that show are acting in a way that is very different from the Mandalorians in the Clone Wars. You know, like, the we see them taking off their helmets all the time in this season. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely wanted more of a tie-in there, and, and I was disappointed that we got what's called the Siege of Mandalore, but don't... I still have no idea how that ties into the Siege of Mandalore as mentioned right. in the Clone Wars. There's a little bit of... In the, in the show The Mandalorian. Mandalore in Rebels, but yeah, I wanted it in The Clone Wars, because the clones were based on a Mandalorian and trained by Mandalorians, and we don't talk about their culture then. But, yeah. that's that's my rant. Um, I want to read one more final email uh, from Brendan, uh, Brendan Gross. Uh, he says, Hey guys, love the show. One small note, uh, you guys were wondering why Ahsoka didn't use her lightsabers to help the Mert sisters yeah. escape. Uh, this is interesting because, like, we, we then found this out, but he he was right to write this in. This was um, when we were in the middle of that season. Paul and I at one point wondered, like, why doesn't she have her lightsabers? And he points out in the final episode of season five, when Ahsoka leaves the Jedi Order, she clearly, uh, as he said, very clearly hands her lightsabers over mm-hmm. to Anakin. It's an incredibly moving scene. 
I'm sure you guys just forgot about it. Yeah, yeah we watched it yeah. many yeah, years, years ago. Anyways, love the rest of the episode. You'll love the final four of season seven. It's incredible. Keep up the good work. Brendan Gross. Well, he's um, right. Brendan, thanks. To- <laughs> yeah. <he's- laughs> oh, I just meant about loving the last four episodes. But um, but also, obviously, about <laughs> that that um, moment and having forgotten it because time. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like one of the great things that the Clone Wars series did was bring sort of have all these different things going on in different parts of the galaxy and all these stories, stories that were kind of loosely connected with one another. Um, But then when we get to the end of season seven, I feel like more and more like, you know, what you, you guys are saying about the Mandalorians and, you know, feeling like kind of Ahsoka had her own story that was very sort of felt kind of separate from some of the clone stuff. And I think the structure of season three, uh, season seven really worked well, but I think more spinoffs is sometimes maybe the answer or having like sub series or connected mini series. Um, yes. you know, um, kind of what the, like the MCU is doing yes. uh, in terms of like having like it's the Falcon, which is soldier. And if only some of the creative minds behind the MCU were involved in star. Oh, <laughs> I mean, we've got the Bad Batch, we've got Rebels, we've got the Mandalorian. I think we're getting there. I think we're getting yeah, there. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. agree. It, it's funny, when you guys were talking about um, wanting to see more, we were all talking about wanting to see uh, a series of episodes in which we see the clones kind of struggling with Order 66 and like what that would have been like if they hadn't yeah. had the chip. Um, I'm sure most of the Bad Batch TV show will be about the Bad Batch during the Clone Wars mm-hmm. themselves. Um but what I would love is if the last season or the last arc is about the Bad Batch when Order 66 yeah. comes. Because what if part of the badness of their batchness, like, I'm <laughs> phrase, apologies, but what if part of their sort of malfunctioningness is that their chips don't really right. work? And they do have to choose yeah. to some extent. Like, and they do have that conflict. Like, I, I'd love to see that. Yeah, I'd like that, too. That'd be good. I third the motion. <laughs> Great. Cool. So okay. it will be. So it's carried. Dave Filoni, you have your right. marching orders. Please. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. Well, thanks so much, guys. Uh, this has been a great episode. Um, to our fans, thank you all so much. Um, as I said a couple episodes ago, for a while we were having Gmail problems. I was not seeing emails coming in to the Star Wars Universe email, uh, but we're now seeing them. Thank you so much for writing in. And please keep doing that. Um, excuse me. Um, because... More than anything, I mean, uh, we do this because we love talking about it. And we'd love to hear from you all. So you can find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Star Wars Universe Podcast. I think the Twitter name is a little bit different, and I'll, uh, but both of those are going to be in the show notes for this episode. Um, you can also email us at StarWarsUniversePodcast at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to hear from you. And as I said, um, you'll, this episode will go up probably Tuesday, and then the Superhero FX episode will go up Thursday. But now Paul and, and Jonah and I are in a few moments going to record another episode about the ethical questions from all seven seasons of The, the Clone Wars. So if you're not already listening to uh, Superhero Ethics, this is a great time to check that out. And a great time, as I mentioned at the beginning, to check out all the other great podcasts on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Um, as I said, if you want to dive deep into pretty much any geeky uh, universe that's out there, Star Wars, Star Trek, MCU, DC, any of those, we've probably got a podcast about it. And if we don't, let us know, and we'll see if we can start one. So thank you, Paul. Thank you, Jonah. Uh, thank you, all your fans. Have a great day.